Get your gear ready. This is a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. It's a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation, the podcast dedicated to guiding you along your innovation expedition. Ben Tingey is the name, Sherpa podcast host is the game. It is my privilege to welcome Dr. Matt Hanley to our podcast today, uh, currently Chief Medical Officer of the Metro Group at Atrium Health and soon to be the Chief Clinical Officer at SSM Health, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome, Matt. Uh, good morning, Ben. Glad to be here. Awesome. Looking forward to this morning. Yeah. Also, welcome Lindsay Denault, Director of Commercialization. Hola. Thanks for having me. And also, welcome to Michael Johnson, Director of Innovation. What's up, MJ? Hey, hey Ben. Glad to be here. Awesome. Our previous episode featured a compelling conversation with Dr. Scott Rissmiller and Colin Lane, senior leaders at Atrium Health who shared their perspective about how they have learned and applied disruptive innovation theories to their leadership. Today's conversation is about startup companies and how health systems can successfully collaborate with them to achieve important strategic objectives. Dear listeners, please subscribe and share and connect with us on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag InnovationEngine. Feedback in the form of ratings and reviews is always welcome. Okay, the show must go on and, and buckle up because Lindsay just chugged a five-hour energy, and so <laughs> things are about to, uh, to about to get started here. Um, <laughs> Matt, would you take a minute to introduce yourself and uh, share a little bit about your background, your current role, and what's next for you? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so um, background is originally an emergency physician. Um, I did my training here at Atrium Health back in the late 90s, early 2000s, which feels like the Roman era at this at this <laughs> point. Um, I spent about a decade up in Virginia, private practice, emergency medicine, and slowly transitioned into leadership and have been back here at Atrium Health for the past uh, six years and uh, currently serve as the chief medical officer for our metric group. And uh, that is a job that I'm not sure where it starts and where it, sh- where it, where it finishes. It uh, changes every day. And uh, next adventure is chief clinical officer at SSM Health based out of St. Louis, which I'll start in August. So very much looking forward to it. Very exciting. Very exciting. Lindsay, what have you been up to lately? So as of late, I have been restoring a 1954 Corvette. So this weekend I took it out for its maiden voyage, entered it in its first competition. I did not win. So I am determined now to to make the the improvements to the car and go out this weekend swinging. Awesome. What about you, Michael? Digging into blockchain. Oh yeah. I mean, looking at some some um, some things around there. Um, prototyping voice user interface, Alexa, seeing what we can do to improve patient experience using that technology. A lot of potential there. And doing some work with some outside corporations, see how we can work together with them to do some new stuff. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Michael basically has one of our offices set up um, like a like a patient room so you can walk in and pretend like you're using Alexa in a patient room. It's pretty cool. Prototype it. Prototyping. Well, let's start with our key takeaways. Lindsay, why don't you start? What would you like our listeners to take away from this conversation? I think the biggest thing when it comes to working with startups or outside organizations is to go into it with the mindset of thinking of them as partners. 
Um, a lot of people use the term vendor, and to me, that feels transactional. So today, what I really want people to take away is looking at it from the partnership lens. Great. Matt, what would be your takeaway? Yeah, I, you know, I think my takeaway has to do with the idea that 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 there is a tremendous amount of value and unrealized potential in the space and that more often than not, that as corporate, coming from the corporate lens, that our biggest limiter in realizing that potential is often ourselves. It's what we don't know, we don't know, and the biases that we bring to the business table, I think, has is probably the biggest limiter than it, rather than sort of the the, the the paradigm or the model of the of the the startup or the or the business that we're looking at. So, great takeaway, Michael. I'd say the uh, be good at bridging different cultures because when you look at organizations like ours that are very big and established, and we operate an existing business model, good at KPIs, SOPs, metrics, and whereas then you have startups that are really looking for a business model, they don't have anything that's standard or KPI, very agile and fast, and very different cultures exist in, two, in those two different. And we're trying to bring them together. So I think if you can be good at understanding where they're both coming from and the connections, uh, you might have a better chance of success. Excellent. Well, I'm sure all those takeaways will come up in our conversation here. Um, We have some hot-off-the-presses insights from CB Insights. Uh, They interviewed 700 innovation leaders, and uh, they had this response on their survey. They asked the question, how do you prefer to make innovation happen? And the results were kind of interesting. 51% said that they would prefer to build 31% said they prefer to partner, and 18% said they would prefer to buy. Uh, Matt, as a senior leader, what's your take on the build versus buy versus partner conundrum? Awesome, Ben. Totally easy question to kick things (laughs) off with. Um, Yeah, so this is actually a complex question. I, 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 you know, my sort of perspective on this is it, it really depends on where the organization is and first even understanding what innovation is. And, and I, I, you know, a lot of times I actually just stop talking to people about innovation because I'm like, you just don't get it. We don't, we're not there yet. We need to move the culture forward and the understanding. And so, um, so I think that's sort of the first step in it, but this idea of, of should you buy versus build, I think depends on a lot of different things. I think, First is to sort of understand your culture and what your core competencies are. Um, if you're a company that has sort of embraced the the ability to be, I guess the buzzword now is agile organizations. Um, and I think the if you, I think the latest Harvard Business Review has this idea of being agile at scale. And so if you're a company that has that embedded in its culture, like Google, you know, or Apple that being able to create these agile teams that sort of start and stop and they change their start points and their stop points, they change their objectives, they're highly focused on the consumer, um, and they're, they're allowed to be autonomous. If you have that embedded in your culture, it's a phenomenal way to solve highly complex questions um, and to do it at scale. So if you're an organization that has that in your DNA, um, it I would say that I would – you know, lend itself to to, to doing that in house, and, and that's what you see, right? Whereas Google is not; they're doing sort of both and, but they do a lot of stuff in house, right? And they do it at tremendous scales. Um, if you are a a company that is highly corporate, um, well established, 
in a conservative maybe space. I don't know, like healthcare um, in a conservative part of the country. I don't know, like the southeast. Um, you know, where there has been conservative business norms. I don't know, like banking and finances. I don't know. You know <laughs> that probably that the the competencies that exist in your organization are not that of Silicon Valley. It's just different. Not right or wrong. And so, do, do you know? Does it make more sense to then outsource some of that? Um, probably, I would say it does. And and there's two reasons to do that to me. One is because you need uh, deal flow or idea flow. In other words, you need an influx of ideas that you will have a hard time generating because of the bias of the, the culture, the organization, the business that you're in. Yeah. Um, so you need non-redundant ideas just to flow in massively, and that's a good way to do it. Uh, and the second thing is about acceleration. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've talked about this in previous podcasts, but there is that critical phase when someone has a great idea, a startup company, and then the single most important thing that they have to do is they have to grow. And they have to grow super fast in a short period of time or they're dead, right? So if we, you know, I, I'm not a fan of outsourcing strategy. I think that should be always in-house. But once you know your strategy, if you don't have the ability to execute it, I'm a fan on outsourcing the execution. And so if you can outsource that and accelerate a strategy, that's another really, really good reason to – to, um, you know, buy versus sort of build. Yeah, starting out with a bang, man. Awesome. <laughs> Lindsay, Michael, anything you'd like to add? I think the only thing I would like to add is just making sure that, that the people that are making the decisions have the openness to be able to look at all three of those options. So often I find that we only look at build or buy. We very rarely look at the partner option as well. And so that's what I hope to bring to the table here at Atrium Health is helping to highlight the realm of possibility of what we could do with a potential partner and helping to highlight the areas where maybe we've seen a ton of other people have already built something, so it doesn't make sense for us to go and and build something on top of that. So just being able to look more at the competitive analysis of other health systems or other other folks out in the market before we invest heavily, before we build, um, I think is is what I would hope to see us doing more of going forward. Yeah, the the thing that I thought about is, you know, when you look at, you know, it's a build, partner, buy, that kind of also um, shows that, you know, when you, when you end up buying something, it's a product, it's known, it's something that's already created, I'm just bringing it in, and it's an implementation challenge. But as you kind of move all the way down from, I've got this idea, I'm going to build it, you're, you're really assuming a lot of risk also for creating a product that you hope works, but it's custom built to what it is that you want. But um, when you kind of look at the partnering, it's usually a co-creation, um, and so... Yeah, in terms of risk, you are taking a lot more risk when you build, but you also anticipate to get exactly something that's custom fit for your your vision, your 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 innovation goals, your you know how you want to operate in the future. So, um, I, I guess when you kind of look at you know think about the amount of risk and also the amount of speed, because yeah. um, if you do have something that's already built, you're just bringing it in. You do kind of get further down the path quicker um, because that's a product that's already been created. That leads me to my next question. Um, which do you think is better, multiple targeted solutions that you're bringing in-house or a one-size-fits-all that is able to take care of all the needs that you have? I know it's kind of a broad question, but maybe thinking about technology integrations or um, uh, other things, maybe clinical software. Uh, does it make sense for an organization like ours or like other large healthcare systems to – 
have lots of solutions that may not exactly talk to each other at first or to find something that is able to just with one punch knock everything out. Oh, take a swing at that? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, thanks again, Ben. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, this is a cool question. Um, it's a really cool question because there's so many new, nuanced layers. And um, I think the tension, the, the fundamental tension that exists in this with a big organization is the one of efficiency um, versus the fact that if you are that big or especially you know, if you look at HRM Health, the reality is that we're actually hundreds of different businesses with thousands of different types of customers. We're not a single segment of the market. And so you have this tension of the just the fundamental idea of a one-size-fits-all um, rubs against the fact that we have multiple different types of consumers for the same reason that a shoe company, you know, doesn't offer one shoe. Like or a running sh- running company, running shoe company like Nike doesn't offer one shoe because they realize we got a lot of different customer segments. Therefore, we have to have a lot of different shoes. Uh, and that's a simplistic version. But that, I think, highlights the, the tension that sort of sits there all the time. I think for, um, you know, in the healthcare space, you know, and you'll hear me say this a lot of times. Lindsay hears me say this. I think she's got it tattooed. I'm almost tattooed <laughs> somewhere. But – it, you have to have a really good – you have to have clarity around the problem that you're trying to solve. And so the more that we can understand the problems that we're trying to solve and, you know, to me it's like spend all your time there, spend 70, 80 percent of your time there because that really helps then inform a lot of the work after um, that I think – you get a better idea whether you need a one size fits all or what it is that you're trying to achieve. So I think, you know, if you go back to the technology thing, man, from a cost perspective, having a single solution makes a ton of sense, maintaining operations, all that stuff. Um, But then if you sort of go back and you say, wow, let's look at the original installations of Epic and Cerner and, you know, all of man, that there was a lot of headache on on the consumer side and the front end of the clinician because it just was not built for 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 the the variety of consumers and users that totally. yeah 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 totally. And so I think that and and man, that was felt. And so if you are involved in that, uh, I mean, gosh, I just go talk to some of those people. <laughs> it's like there are a lot of scars out there from people who who, who did that. And I, but I'm also think for the business case, people are feeling pretty good that that was the right business decision. But so I think that we need to advocate. I I think that heterogeneity of solutions, going back to this idea, I mean, it's about deal flow. It's about number of ideas that roll in the door that are ultimately going to get you to the point where you actually find the best solution or best solutions for a situation. But we need to advocate, I think, as larger corporations of how do we do, how do we have that, how do we introduce that heterogeneity into uh, a platform efficiently, you know, kind of like another nice idea is like, you know, if you look at the app store on in, in Apple, mm-hmm. for example, you know, they have a the single platform, but man, they've got hundreds of thousands of different solutions for consumers that they're able to deliver fairly efficiently. Great analogy. And you they know? let the market decide. Yeah. And then, and then you let the market sort of decide because again, that's a super point, Lindsay. It's like, it, it, we're way too naive to even have an idea of what the what the market is going to you know want in the end, and it's and uh, so that idea of this sort of organic uh, setting up this organic ecosystem to let them sort of figure out which ones are going to rise and which ones are going to fall is I love that idea. Yeah. Really messy though, 
Oh yeah, the creative destruction of of yeah. uh, the experience economy and and the consumer economy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Lindsay, I know you have some stuff to say. <laughs> ben, what was that article that you shared with our team about how technology is taking over our lives? But it was more around Google and Apple and all of those. Oh, yeah. Well, it was it was an article that showed how the different products that those companies have, how they segment them across your day and across um, like your leisure time, your work time, your family time, and how, you know, the Alexa is in your home and then um, – Oh, I can't remember where it was. I think it may have been a Bloomberg Business Week article or something. I think what resonated most with me when you shared that with us was we all circled the things that we use. And when we compared them just amongst our own team, there was almost no overlap. Like my chart or my map was 100% different than Jay's. Yeah. And so if if in the consumer world there was only one solution – um, like that would never work. But in healthcare, far too often, I think we see leadership trying to make a decision of what one solution that we're going to offer to consumers instead of letting the market decide. And part of that, part of the reason for that is it is really challenging to pilot or test multiple things in the same space. Like implementation challenges are very real. And I think that's why when Dr. Hanley and I met, when Matt and I met with Zelf, um, I think that was the first time that we saw maybe that maybe that app store concept could be applied to healthcare. Um, maybe maybe there could be a better way to prescribe which application or which digital content could be relevant to that particular patient based on you know that that prescribing engine. I think that was the first time we saw the possibility in healthcare. Yeah, and, and I'd make no mistake that a lot of this has been driven, driven by the regulatory environment. So that the influx of the whole EHR, for example, that was you know that's great government initiative, part of the stimulus program coming out of the last recession, with carrots on the front end, a lot of carrots and teeth on the back end, and that was not a product that was driven by the market, right? If we had left that to be a completely market-driven decision, I don't know, maybe some places would still be on paper, but I think there'd be some more sophisticated solutions out there. Hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of, when I, when I think about that question, I, kind of, I think about the end um, impact of experience. I'm a fan of jobs to be done and behavior economics. And so when you kind of look at a strategy of what's the best experience, you could get that um, with either one, really. And, and when you look at it, so you could end up having uh, multiple solutions that are both or each very, very easy for the consumer to use or for us to use. Uh, at the same time, they might be very fragmented and not. And at the same time, an all-in-one sometimes is not that easy. I think we've all used apps or products that have too much stuff jammed into and it doesn't flow. It doesn't do – it does everything half well. Um, I went camping over the weekend, so I use the analogy of a Swiss Army knife. You know, you can end up going camping with a Swiss Army knife. I've got a little knife, corkscrew. Uh, Phillips head, I've got a little spoon, I've got all this stuff, and why would you need anything else? Well, I don't want to have a tiny little spoon that I use to eat my food. I want, I want a really nice survival knife. I just really want one spoon. And sometimes so it's it's sometimes it's frustrating to give somebody a Swiss Army knife and expect them to be just fine. And so I think if we really understand the experience that we're trying to create, the job, the progress that is trying to be made, then I think that'll help inform which way is the better route. One size fits all. Is it meeting all those expectations and needs? Or do we really need to go with individual things that do things really, really well in their niche? Another great analogy. And love the infusion of the jobs to be done thinking. Um, 
Well, a couple of months ago, each of you attended some plug and play events. Uh, Lindsay, give us the skinny on plug and play. How does it work? Why are we uh, involved in, in working with this organization? So it might be helpful to share maybe a, a little bit of background on what accelerators are first, because I know whenever I talk about it in our own system, the first question I get is, what is an accelerator? Um, right after, like, what is a startup? So uh, before coming to Atrium Health, I was running a health accelerator in Houston, Texas. And the main premise behind healthcare accelerators are they are business development programs for startups. And when they first started back in 2008, um, they were program startups would go through them. They would culminate culminate in a demo day. But as these programs started to evolve, they they realized that the real driver of the value of these startups in going forward and whether or not they would get investment was really whether or not they had customers. And so a lot of the accelerators started to more closely align with customers. And we saw that in healthcare. And over time, we saw that the process of that the accelerators would help with as far as sourcing and vetting um, and being able to bring in innovative companies, that's something that you can sort of not automate, but you can you can scale that with best practices. The part that was really, really hard to replicate was more on the customer side, so more on the health system side of being able to identify the different problems that you're trying to solve, the constraints around those. And then on the back end, once you've picked a partner, how to implement those. And so after coming to, to Atrium, um, I saw the value in being able to partner with some of those accelerators in order to help our very small team scale our ability to, to source uh, companies that would be a great partner for us. So we looked at about a dozen and ultimately decided on plug and play. And the things I think that were most interesting about that relationship for us were that they were global. So they are in over 25 different locations around the country. They they partner with over 180 corporate partners across a dozen different industries. And Matt mentioned sort of our scale um, a little bit earlier um, in the call in in the, in the podcast. And we have because of our scale, we have challenges in energy. We have challenges in transportation. We have challenges in branding and retail. And so just finding a partner that only focused on health and wellness was a little bit too narrow for us. And so plug and play has that that broad scope so that we can go and and learn from other industries and be able to apply those into into healthcare. So for us it's about the access to the to the qualified, vetted uh potential partners that are early and growth stage companies um, and the ability to look across industries. And then most people will participate in the accelerator program itself, which you know gives you exposure to be able, be able to mentor the companies, be able to see them pitch on demo day. But the part that was really valuable for us was the deal flow sessions. So those are very specific and tailored to us. So we, our job is to define the problem, like like Matt mentioned, what job, what problem are we trying to solve? Um, be able to articulate that, and then we give it to them, and they're able to source worldwide and be able to show us 30 different companies that could be a good partner for us. So a lot of it is helping us scale our ability to do that because we are a very large health system and, you know, I am only one person. So um, having a partner that can help us do that is awesome. Michael, what was your experience going to a plug and play event? Yeah, I went to a Cleveland Clinic uh, a couple of months ago for their plug and play. And I think the the thing that I was very surprised, I did not expect this, but I was expecting to go in and seeing we're Cleveland Clinic, and then there's also all these startups, and it's a big matchmaking, right? But what I what I found was it wasn't just about Cleveland Clinic; it was about Cleveland. And so, really, what they were doing is Cleveland Clinic was really kind of ushering in this. Let's let's end up 
benefiting Cleveland Clinic, but we're really looking at the broader community. And I think we kind of have the same, a lot of aspirations because we really exist for our community here in the Carolinas and beyond uh, in Georgia and, and, you know, in the future we'll, we'll be even further. But I think the, that was probably the biggest surprise is that you know, they ended up having, yes, startups that uh, from Silicon Valley, and they also had Cleveland Clinic folks, but they also had um, you know, industries that weren't even in healthcare, but they had a very tangential connection, and they came in, and it was really kind of a big mashup and a lot of idea exchanges as far as, you know, what do you do? What, and so it was a lot of, uh, we don't know how all these pieces can fit, but let's get together and let's talk about, about different problems and opportunities. And so... That was probably the biggest surprise. It was really it was really a gathering, I guess, more than just let's present to Cleveland Clinic and let's see if we can partner up just with those two organizations. It was much broader. I love that. Matt, while you weren't running 10Ks in the mountains of California, you also attended some <laughs> plug-and-play events. Uh, what was your experience like? Yeah, Lindsay's been, like, snitching on me. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get eaten by a mountain lion. That, that was awesome trails That was success. There. Yeah, awesome trails. Um, yeah, so I, I said three, so three takeaways, um, from the plug and play experience. And when we were out in Silicon Valley, the so first is it is a completely non-redundant community, uh, in terms of networking compared to the, the, the business environment that I'm in on a daily basis. Maybe there's a one or 2% overlap, but for the most part, it's a, it's a new, uh, group of people who come from different backgrounds who have a different mentality into the world. And so just that in and of itself, um, to me, a tremendous amount of value. Um, and I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit about why they're different. Um, but it's like going to a foreign country in terms of what they do. So the second thing, and then Michael alluded to it, was the presence of, of I would say, legitimate corporate par- partners at the table. So, And I would say these are corporate partners who um, – uh, I think are farther down the path in terms of understanding the value or trying to to capture some of the value of, of innovation and then how to make it play. But, you know, Cleveland Clinic, for example, has been doing this for uh, at least, I think, at least a decade. Mm-hmm. And they're a little more mature in their thinking. But, um, you know, again, it's, it's – and the third point is that there is – while it's really, really messy or it would feel messy to us from a traditional corporate perspective, there is a lot of business rigor and there is a lot of sort of deep – the bucket is deep in terms of thinking about how they're going about their business and putting strategy and aligning it with their strategy. And so it is not a – you know, it is uh, – this is a graduate-level stuff that's going on. And then when you look at plug-and-play itself, these people have been doing it for, I think, 1970s is when they started. I think their first one – their first one was Google. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. the, some of the exits they have are are, are like pretty incredible. They're Google, billion dollar exits. Dropbox, yeah. uh, PayPal, Ardent Health. Ardent Health. Yeah, these are, this is not like bush league stuff. These are <laughs> people who know what they're doing, and um, they're they're let's put this way: they're just a lot of expensive cars in the parking lot. <laughs> But they are very good about catering to corporations, yeah. which is, I think, one of the big things that we wanted in in a partner. Yeah. It is it is very overwhelming for folks that are not used to it. like I I love talking to startups, but for people who maybe are new to it, it can be very overwhelming. It can be a very different experience, You're, and so they make it very comforting, yeah. um, easy to jump right into. And, and what they're doing, actually, it's interesting. What they're doing is they're flexing their business model as they've done all the time. 
to a new space. So they're saying, yeah, we've done all this. We've been really successful and the market and the landscape is changing. So we're going to flex again and pivot. And we're, you know, because we see these corporate partners now have a a uh, elevated interest in being in this innovation space. And wow, they have a lot of resources to bear, but don't have some of the experience that we have. And so let's, there's something to be had here. And so they're pivoting their model to interface. And so I think they're sort of learning as, as we are learning as well. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's, I would highly recommend it, man. It is, it's a cool space. And uh, Scott Rismiller, who was on the previous podcast had mentioned that one of the most important things for him and in atrium is culture change. And, I think being able to ex- expose some of our teammates to Silicon Valley and to the plug and play experience really gets them out of the mindset that they're currently in, in whatever they're doing for Atrium Health and gets them excited by exposing them to the realm of possibility. So knowing the problems that exist, like look at what all the innovative entrepreneurs are doing to solve some of those challenges. And it really invigorates, I think, our teammates to be part of that. And the, the I got I'll throw in another comment. So, so that the different, the whole idea of being different, it's, it's, uh, you know, I remember so looking at a bunch of these startups and then looking at the folks who are involved in these startups and you could actually get access to their CVs. So like I looked at a couple of their CVs and I'm like, I'm looking at one that what's one guy's CV and it's like, like this guy's had like 17 jobs in the last 10 years. He's been in like 17 companies, some are six months, some are nine months, some are like 15 months and just bopping all over the place. And uh, I was like, I asked Lindsay, so I'm like, what's up with this guy? She's like, oh, that's just what they do. They just <laughs> go from startup to startup and they're they're moving around. And it's completely normal. And I was like, we'd never hire this guy at Atrium. There's no chance. But this is, you know, this is the culture these people live in. And that's sort of the norm for, for these folks in terms of moving and starting and creating. And, you know, probably along the way, they're just looking for that one or two, one that's really going to go the distance. But that's a as such, if you think about that and the mindset that most of us have in terms of how we approach our career, how we approach project planning, how we approach budgets, that is literally the antithesis. Um, I mean, that's like as a parent, that's the kid who is, quote unquote, your problem child. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But out there, that's the that is the middle of the bell shape curve. It's absolutely the middle of the bell-shaped curve. These people are everywhere. So fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, just to get an idea of that and just – and it, so then you go back to the original question you asked. Hey, how can we bring innovation into the corporate culture? I mean, that's the distance that we need to collectively bridge from a leadership perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's why Gene, our chief innovation officer, always talks about our role being a Sherpa and being – uh, analogous to that Martian movie where there's the decompression chamber because they are two very different environments, two very different uh, value sets in in a lot of ways. And being able to translate those two worlds is is a, a, where we add a lot of value, I think. Yeah, let, let's let's go a little bit further on that. So uh, I obviously plug and play, as, as you mentioned, uh, is a adds tremendous value for systems like ours who are trying to source. Uh, solutions to, to certain problems, but there, it's also a huge benefit for these startup companies who are trying to get access to scale, like you talked about, Matt. And so um, they want to be successful in, in finding a home for their idea. Um, what are some tips for startup companies who want to pitch to health systems? What would To, to the entrepreneurs out there, what would we want to tell them? What do you think, Lindsay? Um, I have, I guess... The majority, the, I think my first thing would be honesty, and then I would also add 
coachability and flexibility is I think the three main things that I look for. So on honesty, an investor once told me that startups aren't lying. They're telling the truth in advance. And so when they're talking to you, they'll usually commit to, yes, I can do this. Um, Whenever I engage with a startup company, I usually just want them to give it to me straight with no chaser. Tell me where you really are, what your vision um, is, because I want to know like what current state is how you plan on getting there. But I also want to keep in mind like where you want to go as a company. And I'll be completely transparent with what we have at our system and our challenges and where we're trying to get to, because I do want to see alignment. I don't want to drag a startup along in a direction that they don't ultimately want to go. So I think honesty and transparency upfront is one of those things. Um, We talked about with plug and play, having access to a lot of corporate partners. So whenever I'm on a call with a startup and they're mentioning um, working with other health systems, just know that like we are texting each other during that call. And so just making sure that like you're accurately representing who you're working with and how you're working with them because we are, it's a very small community. And then I think the other component related to coachability, I think coachability trumps everything for me. So whenever we're talking to a, to a startup, it is more like a marriage. Like you're going into it knowing that it is not going to be perfect. We're each going to have flaws that we're going to bring to the table and we're going to work through those together. Um, and if if the company isn't willing to take feedback from the clinicians or from from our team on their business model or just anything, it makes for a very tough relationship. And so we try to gauge that at the very beginning um, because that's, I think, the number one driver for for the times that things don't go very well. And then the last part is just flexibility. Um, a lot of folks may have a business model that works in a research setting or um, in one type of health system and being able to figure out a business model that may work for us or may work for a larger health system, we greatly appreciate appreciate that. And I know we've thrown out to a lot of a lot of startups the idea of maybe going at risk. We don't maybe don't know what that business model would look like with a startup, especially, but we are totally open. And if they have done research, we're open to having those conversations. So I think just being honest and transparent and coachable, um, I think, are the main things that I would recommend. Yeah, good takeaways. Michael, you've done a little bit of mentoring. What advice would you provide uh, startups who are looking to work with systems yeah, I mean, I think, like I think a lot of what Lindsay was talking about, I was thinking about the same thing. Just really be kind of transparent about your challenges and expect that of the other person as well. Because if you don't have that, there's really not um, – uh, you're not going to have a, a great connection from the get-go. But I think I think for startups, uh, one thing that I really look for with uh, startups that come to, to health systems is really – you know, what are you really, really, really good at? You know, be excellent at one thing, if anything. And because sometimes um, startups, I mean, with healthcare being as complex that it is, sometimes it's just kind of like we can do, you know, we, we can do population health for you. It's like, okay, that's just, you know, can you get niche? Can you really tell me? And it also kind of takes my second point is like really understand the problem. And I think starting from the ground floor up and, and you know, I think that's tough. It's really tough for startups that are outside the healthcare space because um, a lot of the problems that they see are from the surface. And so um, partnering up with health systems, we can actually get in the guts and understand what are the politics, what are the incentives and the payment mechanisms and the, 
challenges we have with quality and all these things are really, really hard for a startup to understand unless they have a good relationship with a health system. So, um, so I think a lot of it is, you know, try to get those relationships uh, with health systems. And I think that's going to help with really defining and understanding the problem and the fit for kind of what your wheelhouse as a startup is. Uh, so that's, that, that would be my advice. Great thoughts. Great thoughts. Well, this is this has been awesome. Let's go back to our takeaways, uh, Michael. Let's start yeah. with you for the for the takeaway. Yeah, yeah. My my takeaway is that be good about um, bridging the the two different cultures, and we hit on some of them. You know, like the the decompression chamber is a great one, right? You're going from different zones to different zones, and um, having somebody that can you know help bridge those is is going to be key. Uh, you know, you again, you kind of look at um, systems like ours are really meant to. Um, by design to extend the existing business model. We have a lot of standards in place to help us repeat and replicate that. And, um, you know, being able to kind of understand from the startup that, you know, we do have a contract that's going to be pretty lengthy and we're going to need to follow, you know, some of those things. And we also have, um, you know, we, we don't move as fast on these things. And so there's there's different things. I think understandings, again, of the different cultures and the priorities that might compete with what it is that we want to do and try to find uh, a, a way to really kind of move through that so we can end up really, in essence, like creating a new culture uh, with some shared values and some things that we want to accomplish. Excellent. Lindsay, your takeaway. So I talked about partnership and going into the the relationship with the mindset of partnership. And the brand that I would love in the entrepreneur and startup community is to know of Atrium Health as a great partner. And so the investments in in culture change and in infrastructure and in people to get us there is is what I care a lot about um, because I just see so much value in being able to partner with early stage innovative companies to leapfrog where we are today and be able to meet uh, the needs of consumers in the future. So I'm I'm super excited about the possibilities um, as long as we go into it with the right mindset. Yeah. The last word, Matt, your takeaway. So going back to that thing, I, you know, coming from a corporate perspective, I think the biggest limiter can often be ourselves. And so I, my advice to, you know, unless you're a Google, but, um, that for corporate organizations, I would say there's three things if you want to do this. As first is from a, from a leadership perspective, have a really good sense of who you are and what your background is. And, um, if you don't have some guy who's got a 17 jobs in the last 10 years uh, on a CV, the question is, do you have the leadership competency to be in this space? Um, and if not, should you? Um, and, you know, there are a lot of examples of these traditional healthcare companies now hiring folks from that sector, right? Ascension just did it. Um, uh, Novant across the street just did it. Um, some of the other big Catholic health systems have done it because it's sort of recognition we need to bring a different idea set in. Second thing is to understand, again, this is an investment that is a multi-year investment. The same way we look at, say, teammate engagement, you know, we, we're going to allocate a certain amount of funds to it and we're going to invest in our teammates year over year and just do stuff where it's going to be kind of hard to – to aside from a, maybe a survey we do every year, but we're looking for some of these soft outcomes that we we all recognize as highly valuable. Same thing with innovation. This is a multi-year investment that's got to grow the culture. And then the third thing is have a plan. 
have a plan that tightly aligns with your your organizational strategy and then is core with your organizational strategy. So either you believe in innovation or you don't, just like you believe in teammate engagement or you don't, and bake it in um, and then make it cohesive. And I think if you, if you want to, that would be my, my sort of big takeaway three. Awesome. Matt, Lindsay, Michael, thank you all so much for joining me on the podcast today. This was terrific. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having us. That's been great. Thanks. Awesome. To our listeners, thank you. Next up is an episode about fostering an ecosystem of innovation with two very special guests from outside of Atrium Health. So stay tuned. You won't want to miss it. This is Ben Tingey. Hasta luego. Good answer to that. Do I have to? You talk about your car. Ask, ask, oh yes. Okay. Lindsay, what have you been up to lately?